Good morning, good afternoon, Matthew Grant here and welcome and for those of you in the Northern Hemisphere, hopefully you have some holiday coming up soon, although with the great weather here in the UK and flight cancellations, those of us over here may not want to go too far or may not be able to. Well, we talk to a wide range of companies and people every week on the Instep podcast, but one group that we rarely talk to and certainly don't talk to enough directly is the end customer. That's the people and companies buying insurance. But this week, I am talking to someone who knows a lot about how large corporations are buying insurance and in particular, how they use their own capital as an alternative or to complement buying insurance from third parties through their own captive. If you don't know what a captive is or you want to understand a bit more about how they work, then this episode is definitely worth a listen. Richard Kutcher is host of the Global Capital Podcast and he joined me to discuss how corporations think about insurance and to explain what a captive actually is. Now, Richard is seeing examples of companies starting to use data and analytics to more effectively make decisions about whether to buy insurance or manage those risks internally through their own captive. And so there are intriguing possibilities for anyone with an insurtech solution or just data and analytics to sell those services into this market. Now, we have a couple of bonus features on this one as well. For those of you that make it through to the end, keep listening after my closing words to learn more about protected cell captives and some tech talk about microphones and recording equipment. Richard, delighted to be speaking to you today. Uh, it's always uh, intriguing to talk to another podcast host. So I'm sure at some point we'll be talking about equipment, but you are the executive producer of the Global Captive podcast, which you launched in March 2019. I also see you are captive ambassador at Airmic. Mm. Look forward to learning more about that, which that's the UK Risk Managers Association. And you started life as a reporter. So so welcome. Yeah, Matthew, pleasure to be on, uh, onto the podcast. I actually discovered uh, the Internet podcast during my lockdown lunchtime walks in the Cotswolds, and uh, it gave me a lot of inspiration for what we're going to be talking about over the, the coming minutes. So uh, really, really pleased to be on. First of all, for people that might recognize the name but not really know what it is, could you talk about what a captive is, and then if you've got any examples to bring it to life, that would be great. Yeah, so I've got a few examples, but I'll give you the, the basic kind of principle of, of a captive first. So a captive is generally a bona fide insurance company that is wholly owned and controlled by its insured, or in some cases, insured's plural. So it's a regulated insurance company, really important to re remember that. It's separate, but usually owned by the parent group, it's insurance. The captive is insuring the risks of its owner, or the owners, and the insurers will usually benefit either directly or indirectly from the captive's underwriting profits. So those profits can be used to build up a surplus over time to finance higher limits or new covers, or be sent back to the parent group maybe as, as a dividend. In terms of the types of companies that are using them, I'll, I'll get into some specifics in a second, but traditionally we talk about that kind of Fortune 500 1,000 type of uh, companies, and that's generally where I focus a lot of my work and my content. But they are also used by charities, not-for-profits, university systems, even particularly in the United States, the Salvation Army. For the purpose of what we're going to talk about, we'll focus on that larger corporate space. So this is basically companies that are looking, sometimes alternatives, sometimes to complement their insurance using their own capital. It's kind of a more efficient way to do it. But in many ways, they're still operating under the uh, I wouldn't say restrictions, but the requirements of an insurance company. And we're going to talk a bit more about what that means in practice. You mentioned the Salvation Army in there and so generally some large corporates, but are there any other household names that people might be familiar with that can kind of bring it to life? Coca-Cola, for example, have a couple of captives. Uh, BP 
has two active captives today, one in Guernsey and another in Vermont. And a few other names I can chuck out there because they've been onto my uh, podcast as well. We've got Microsoft, Lufthansa, Adidas, General Motors, DHL, Heineken, Vodafone. And that is just to name a few of about 6,000 that are, that are out there. And as you can see, that's a real mix of industries that utilize captives and they all utilize them in, in very, very different ways. What are the, the sort of differences between you know, how a captive is run in the UK, in Europe, in the US? And just to set the context for what we're going to talk about today. The utilization of captives by UK and European corporates is broadly similar to each other. In the US, we, we definitely see that that entry level of a, of a size of company that can use a captive is, is a bit lower. You know, in Europe, we have Solvency 2 regulation, which is, is quite cumbersome for captives because captives have to abide by Solvency 2 as well. Whereas in the US, you have much more relaxed capital requirements, lower entry fees uh, at setup, particularly lower capital, uh, capital requirements, as I said. And you also have a, a specific tax selection, which we won't go into. The main distinction between the US market of captives and the UK and European market is there's a much wider range of sizes in the US one. In terms of how they're using them, the general principles of captive insurance are, are pretty universal. They generally have been used for... Yeah, predictable, high frequency, low severity lines, kind of property and casualty, workers' compensation, very, very popular with captives in the US, um, but also being used to incubate emerging risks or play a role where the commercial market is just struggling to find a product or the data or capital to underwrite it themselves. Where the company itself is domiciled is not necessarily where the captive might be domiciled. So can you just talk a bit about the differences between the, the two of them? Yeah, exactly. So if you're a UK corporate, but you would actually domicile your captive in the UK. Um, similarly, if you're a Chicago headquartered company, it's unlikely your captive is going to be in Illinois. Traditionally, Bermuda, Cayman and Vermont in the US have been the, the largest domiciles. They still are the largest domiciles today in terms of number of captives uh, that they regulate. Um, the US also has good options. Delaware, Hawaii, the Carolinas uh, have built up good reputations. In Europe, uh, uh, the UK corporates have traditionally navigated towards Guernsey and the Isle of Man. Um, and then for European corporates, you're looking more Luxembourg, Switzerland uh, and Malta in Asia Pacific. Singapore is, a, is, is popular for Australian corporates. So there's, there's about, about 100 domiciles out there that say that they can regulate captives, obviously to varying degrees of reputation and track record. Now, I just want to park captives for a second and, and, really, and talk about the buyers of insurance for these companies. I traditionally risk managers would be buying insurance or they'd be working closely with an insurance buyer in a company. In my experience, they had a limited amount of authority and autonomy. You know, their job is to go and buy insurance. They work with their brokers. We're seeing quite an evolution now, though, in how companies are thinking about buying decisions, taking risk. What's been your experience of the, of the buyer you know, in the company themselves? But, you know, you've seen the same kind of thing in terms of the extent to which they can have more flexibility about how they look at risk and how they buy their protection. I think that the approach varies a lot. We know some some pharmaceutical companies, for example, who heavily utilize their captives, some that don't really at all. I think large corporates are, are relatively frustrated with the commercial market's inability or, or perceived inability to deal with some systemic risks of our time, particularly, obviously, cyber has been a big problem the last couple of years. The pandemic and the response of insurers with regards to business interruption has been contentious at times. But I think mostly, in terms of broader strategy, the more sophisticated corporates Think about it much more in terms of risk financing and effective use of capital rather than just buying kind of traditional or vanilla insurance. 
buying traditional insurance, it's still highly relevant. And I think it will always be a place for that. But when you have innovative, cash-rich, fast-growing companies, they are looking for, for more innovative solutions and strategies to mitigate and finance the major risks that threaten their business models, which might not always fall in line with the traditional PNC uh, workers' comp cap lines that the market is, is still mostly built on today. So big corporates, they're looking to use a combination of, of those strategies, whether it's buy insurance in the commercial market, um, utilizing their captive for certain risks uh, or to deploy their own capital, and in rare instances, using the capital markets. That also means there's more opportunity for innovation, mm. data analytics, all the yeah. things that insurers have been starting to discover over the last decade or so is now starting to play its way into the uh, the corporates. And then for the captives themselves, if I'm sitting in a corporate and uh, I'd like to go and run a captive, do I have to kind of gain that expertise myself? I know there are companies and experts who can run that. Is that on an outsource basis? The vast, vast majority of captives do outsource the day-to-day management, such as the accounting, filings with the regulator, claims handling can be done by multiple parties, whether it's the, the fronting insurer, which we might come on to, or the, or the captive manager. Um, captive managers tend to be broker-owned divisions. So Marsh, Aon, WTW have, have the largest broker-owned captive management operations out there, while there are also independent uh, specialist captive managers. Uh, a company called Strategic Risk Solutions is the largest of those, the largest independent captive and insurance managers. The other model, uh, which is more common in, in Europe than the US, is self-management. And that is what it sounds like it is. It's, it's The captive is managed in-house. So Lufthansa, they've got a very, very large uh, German domicile captive called Delvag. That's also about 100 years old. And um, that's a significant operation managed in-house. Volkswagen has a team in Dublin managing their two captives as well. And Vodafone here in the UK, they have a, they have a hybrid approach where they have, um, they have representatives who are employed by the captive in Malta, but they also outsource some other services as well. And I think the self-managed captives it might be one of the ones who are a bit ripe for welcoming in some, some more innovative uh, tech. What are you hearing about their appetite now to engage more widely on the use of technology and, and data? They have been concentrating on kind of up-teching, if you want to put it that way, to make their day-to-day management of captives and their, and their programs more efficient. Things like you know automating pay- payments, invoicing, accounts, reporting, policy issuance, etc. As that as the business of captive management is a very low margin one. Yeah, you know, it's not a big profit making business. Captive management. It normally, particularly the broker owned ones, it normally serves a bigger purpose, which is the, the broking consulting function. So any progress and efficiencies made in that regard are definitely primarily a benefit to the managers, and ultimately only by extension to the client, the captive, the, the insurance buyer. The larger captives in particular do have an opportunity to, to embrace new technologies, but they probably need it to be brought to them because they don't have the luxury of time to go out experimenting. I hosted a meeting of, of the AMIC uh, special interest group on captives in March at Lloyd's, and the risk managers, they're, they're crying out for modernization you know, of the full insurance procurement lifecycle from completing underwriting forms and market presentation to policy issuance and claims. They just don't experience enough progress being made by the by the commercial market so there's definitely a disconnect issue i think which is um which is happening but it's, it's a time issue risk managers are they're, t- they're time staffed unfortunately you've got to the heart of the one of the biggest challenges of innovation is how, how do you get people you know, out of their day jobs and give them a chance yeah. to absorb what's out there and inevitably what's new can take a little bit longer and you know some things don't always work but i mean they are these companies are well placed because often they've got the data internally that isn't available to insurers 
and it can also help in their own risk management. So you, you can see why you know, they start to think about it. Risk managers would be seeing the opportunities to do it. But are there any particular themes as you look out what you see more broadly happening in insurance or anywhere else with innovation and technology that you think is particularly appealing to you know, to people you're talking to or risk managers in general? I believe Maersk found real value uh, in working with and developing InsureWave uh, alongside obviously EY at the time. I know um, InsureWave are a member of Instech and I think I was there when they were speaking a, a few weeks ago. And, and Maersk have used that platform to reduce contract administration by automating the insurance transactions while you know also increasing data richness and, and granularity i believe we'll see insurewave make a lot more progress working directly with corporate clients over the next couple of years but more broadly as we start to see more captive owners look to use their insurance subsidiary to take part in in third party or customer risks i i'd expect to see more application of some of the embedded technologies i know you guys feature a lot of um uh, for things such as your yeah, handset insurance vodafone very famously use their captive to, to to offer insurance to their customers for handset travel insurance is quite common amongst airlines that they offer and that they often use their captive in the background on that um, warranty products as well of course white goods companies have used captives in the past to offer warranty products to customers so there's huge gains to be made whether it's on the embedded side whether it's on the policy issuance uh, kind of data side um so many of your startups or, or insure tech companies that i come across through your podcast and, and your kind of publications i could see there being direct application to captives it's just trying to get them all together to look each other in the eye and work out where the opportunity is we're also talking to the more mature companies which sometimes in this situation people that have already got established solutions is is it's quite helpful, but I just want to come back to that Maersk and Shorewave example because you know what struck me about that at the, at the time and has that's evolved is you know, Maersk initiated it. It was for looking at yeah. you know, what, amongst other things, better ways of sharing manifests for cargo rather than filling in forms and faxing around the world. Once they built that, they actually went back to their insurers and said, "We've built this now. We'd like you to use it." And the like was quite a firm, you know, "We'd like you to use it." So it's kind of interesting going both ways. They designed it to enable and, and actually build out more potential for their captive. They also used it for going back to, to the insurance companies. I think it's another kind of theme we're going to see um, see going forward. And then I just wanted to talk about another area of data that's been very popular now. We do a lot in this area, which is parametric insurance, and then a little bit more longer term going back in history, which is the capital markets and insurance linked securities what's your experience of how the market is looking at those i can think of a few examples and i imagine you've got some where they're starting to see some more creative ways of using data and again some of their own information to come up with some alternative ways of, of looking at making payouts it's a, it's a fascinating question because it's something that going back five years i think just before i moved to new york uh, five or six years ago i thought we'd see a lot more activity because the, the home of ils uh, catastrophe bonds are the homes in terms of jurisdictions bermuda guernsey cayman are the same homes as captives and the insurance managers that manage those vehicles are the same people that manage the captives in those places so for me it's a very natural crossover we've seen um the Metropolitan Transportation Authority in New York, they were one of the first to issue a, a cap bond um, following hurricane damage there for storm surge, Amtrak. And, and by the way, when the MTA did that, they used their New York captive to sponsor the cap bond because you've got to have an insurer which is sponsoring the cap bond. Amtrak used their 
um, their Bermuda captive to sponsor a Bermuda cap bond. Uh, Kaiser Permanente used their Vermont captive to sponsor a Bermuda cap bond. And more recently was Google. Google uh, used their Hawaii captive to sponsor a earthquake cap bond, a West Coast um, earthquake cap bond. I think it was 2020 or maybe early 2021. So we've seen that's just four examples. And I'm surprised we haven't seen, particularly in the hard market, captives make use of the capital markets more through cap bonds or, or collateralized reinsurance. I just think that the cost to entry is is too high. Um, there's also, as you say, that whole data piece. They've got to be completely on top of the data. Uh, and again, for varying reasons, companies just often aren't. Well, don't give up because I was there at the birth of cap bonds back in 1992, I yeah. think it was. And it took that market about 10 years to evolve in, in conventional insurance. The other one that I can is out there that is in public knowledge is Louis Vuitton Moehendon LVMH, where the risk manager there felt he hadn't got sufficient payout after the tsunami in Japan in 2011, and actually went to uh, Descartes to get a parametric cover because he felt that was a much better way of covering risk. I mean, it's definitely that technology adoption curve which some people are familiar with, where you get you know, these early adopters and early majority, and the people that are sort of willing to 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 take some of the trouble, I wouldn't want to say some of the risk, but you know, be out there earlier on and, and then the rest of the market catches up. I think we're very much in that very early adopter stage. So I, as I said, I wouldn't give up or, you know, for those organizations. I think there's some great opportunities out there. The hard market has had a huge impact on captives. Um, existing captives being used a lot more for more, more risks and also a lot a whole new generation of captives being formed. Cannabis companies forming captives, cryptocurrency uh, uh, companies forming captives. We've had some of them on the podcast before. But also how corporates, you know, or particularly those large, large corporates are thinking about how they can kind of deploy the power and, and capital of their captive. And it does give the, the captive, the risk manager, a lot more leverage in the commercial market. So if you have a well-capitalized, established captive right in the variety of lines, then when you are in negotiation with the commercial market, everyone at the table, broker, underwriters, reinsurers, everyone at the table should know that you have a vehicle there on standby to step in should you not get the capacity, the terms, and the breadth of cover that satisfies you. One of the episodes I'm going to recommend to your listeners uh, that they listen to if they want to find out more is that there's a chap called Ward Ching at Aon uh, on the west coast of the US. And um, he, he's really all about you know, getting your captive and your own understanding of the risk to the to a place where you can set the price of the risk. So you set that price. I think he calls it a strike price. And if the market isn't able to match that or beat it, then the captive is comfortable to then step in at that level of premium pricing. Now, there's a lot more towards a strike price approach than what I've just summarized in in a couple of sentences. But if corporates are going to go down that route, then that's where they're going to have to start making a lot more use of the data analytics, the modeling tools that are out there, or in partnership with their broken partners that they hopefully can, can deploy that to some of the insure techs that they're already working with. Hi, it's Ben, Business Development Manager at Instech. Our membership is designed to connect the insurance world with innovation-focused tech, data, and analytics providers, from scale-up to the well-established. To find out more about what membership includes and join our 170 plus members, contact me at ben at instech.co or find me on LinkedIn under Benjamin Gopal. You mentioned AMIC earlier on, which is the Association of Risk Managers in the UK, and you are a captive ambassador. Can you just say a few words about AMIC itself and then you know, what your role of captive ambassador entails? Yeah. 
Airmic, for those listeners in the US, it is the UK equivalent of RIMS. We represent uh, risk insurance managers, uh, both you know, in terms of t- talking to the market, lobbying the market, lobbying government around certain areas, but also doing a hell of a lot of education, um, workshops, uh, and networking events. And in terms of my role, naturally, as Airmic represents a lot of the large companies, risk and insurance managers, a lot of them have captives. So we have a captive special interest group, which is a, a kind of a private uh, meeting group of about 30 or 40 engaged members. Some of those I mentioned earlier that have quite sophisticated captives. And whatever any members who don't have captives are looking to go down that route or find out more, I can point them in the right direction or, or hopefully give them advice or, or connect them to members who do have captives already. So um, we've got quite a quite an engaged group. And, and that's where I got a lot, a lot of my local intel from is, is that AMIT group of, of captive owners because they're, they're a pretty diverse and uh, sophisticated bunch. What about some of these insure tech companies that are out there you know, with high valuations and starting to generate premium? Uh, are they also using their innovation to be quite creative about the use of captives? You're seeing insurtechs use their own insurance vehicles to take a slice of the kind of the underwriting profits that they believe they're, they're delivering. So that's my main area that I've seen it. Uh, there's a company in the US we had on the podcast uh, a few months ago called Arbel as well. Um, they're, they're kind of specialized in parametric products and they've set up a cell company, I believe in Connecticut, um, which means that they can help their clients, uh, which is the insurance buyer, um, take a share who don't have a captive, take a share of the risk alongside Arbel um, if, it, if it's a profitable line of business. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Arbol because they're uh, great supporters of us. And in fact, in uh, about three hours time, I'm going to have Sid, the CEO and founder right. on stage at our event tonight. And then in terms of your own sort of uh, audience, I mean, what do you find your listeners, it might be useful to know who your listeners are as well, for the Global Captive podcast want, want to hear about these days? A bit like yours, very global audience. Our listenership is also uh, just over half is, is the US-based. Uh, we obviously have a large UK listenership, Europe, Asia as well, Asia Pacific. Our listeners, they are captive owners, they're insurance buyers, but also they are that wider ecosystem, the captive managers, the underwriters and fronting reinsurance partners, the insurance partners that work with captives, the brokers, the, the, the lawyers, the regulators, kind of the full gamut of this little little but very highly valuable world that exists around captives. I think in terms of what they like to hear, our, our captive owner interviews are certainly extremely popular. Um, and I've referenced some of them already because those involved in the captive community want nothing more than to hear directly from people who are actually using and benefiting from these captives. It's great to hear from the managers. It's great to hear from the consultants and the lawyers. But how is Microsoft using its captive? How is Lufthansa using the captive? How is Heineken using their captive? That's all really, really valuable because they don't all use it the same. And they all have quite different philosophies about what it should or should not be used for. Some like to make a profit, some like just to be a cost center. We try and get two or three guests in each one as well. So they're, they're pretty short, sharpish interviews which take a lot of editing down. We can talk in a minute about some things we're going to do together in addition to learning about captives because in the insurance world, and particularly this is a, something that I think the London market is a victim of, we don't talk often about, enough about the end client. So it's really interesting to know, yeah. you know what Maersk or Coca-Cola or Google or others are doing themselves because they're, they're building captives, but they're also very big buyers of insurance. And I, I can see why you know, the, the podcast is popular. And, and just we'll put this in the notes as well so people can link to it. But you mentioned one of your podcast episodes. If you're like me, you know, every every guest you bring some great new learning and it's very difficult to pick one episode for another but having said that i'm going to ask you to yep. sort of suggest a couple that you think might be relevant for people interested in learning about 
captives that are kind of for a non a non technical or non expert level. The one that I'll definitely recommend specifically for your listeners is that one I referenced earlier, GCP35 with Ward Ching. Um, if you find the, the Global Captive Podcast feed, just scroll. You have to scroll down quite a bit because we're on GCP67 now, I think. But find GCP35 um, from about 18 months ago and listen to that because I think a lot of what he talks about and where captives are or should be going will be very pertinent to uh, your listeners and, and they might see some application for themselves. In terms of more recent episodes, um, we had uh, GCP 63 uh, to give you an idea of kind of the, the, the diversity of our episodes. Um, Alka Van Ganenda, who's head of multinational AIG, was co-hosting and that had a, our interview of Microsoft recently in there, which was the employee benefits and the kind of PNC captive side together, which is interesting. And then we just, something more, a bit more traditional, we had GCP 67 just out last week and that has an in-depth interview with um, Teresa Severson, who's the risk manager for Kite Realty Group. And that's a real estate investment company in the US. So quite traditional use of a captive. That is quite technical. We talked quite a bit of detail about how the captive plays a role in different lines uh, and kind of trigger points there. So, I've, I've, but I think GCP thirty five would be a great starting point. I think for for your listeners. Great episode thirty five. What I said, we'll put a link in our episode notes. I'm sure you know, you're a prolific user of social media. Yep. You can put a link in yours. We'll be doing the same. So I'm looking forward to listening to those ones as well. And then. Yeah, Richard, we're putting it together an event later this year. It's still early stages, but we're really keen to bring together some of your audience, you know, people who might be interested in using technology with some of our community of people who are building technology. Anything else you want to say about that just now, what you'd like to get out of it, and in particular what your uh, your friends at Airmic and others would like to hear, hear about? Yeah, I think it's really trying to fix what I perceive to be that disconnect that I touched upon earlier. I think you just mentioned uh a short while ago that you know the insurance customer often does get lost or forgotten about a little bit in, in many kind of transformation discussions whether it's technology or other topics of the wider market and so i think if we can make that event happen with um both the insurance customer be able to have some kind of say of what they might be looking for um from technology and um some some presentations or some ideas or some pitches from uh, some of the InsTech community. I think we could start to maybe, maybe we won't have the answer to everyone's questions on day one, but I think we can at least start that conversation and that uh, that dialogue, which I think has probably been missing from, from both sides of the equation. And we should say thank you to Craig Polly, who's a yep. great friend of InsTech, who uh, I think initiated that and also helped us with some questions to make sure it wasn't just what you and I <laughs> wanted to talk about, but what the rest of the world might want to hear. So thank you, Craig. We've covered a lot there, uh, Richard, and you know, I'm looking at the clock. And uh, just if there's anything we haven't covered that I've missed out, tell me what that should be. Otherwise, uh, I'll let you get back to... Yeah, well, we I'm could. Sure, you've got a busy day. Well, yeah, we could. Uh, there's there's loads of other stuff we could have covered. There's different types of captives. We've really just been talking about single parent captives in this conversation. I did mention, uh, I think, cell companies earlier, uh, which people can look up. But the, the large, large corporate account space, what I think is a, probably of most interest to your to your listeners, are very much on that single parent uh, pure captive side. Well, we could do better than that. If you can stick around, we're going to do a little protected cell special uh, <laughs> at the end of this so people can tune out without offending us or they want to know what protected cell is. They can wait to my outro and join us again. So with that, uh, Richard, thank you very much. I really enjoyed that. You're a great podcast guest as well as a great host and uh, look forward to seeing you in person again very soon. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. Pleasure. Pleasure. 
Well, we covered a lot in there, uh, but as I mentioned, look out for the link to the Global Captive podcast and those recommended episodes in the notes. Now, we're taking a break from events and releasing reports over August, but you'll still get your weekly dose for the podcast and our newsletters. And in the meantime, let me or any of the team know if you are interested in corporate membership or you just want to give us feedback about the podcast, Matthew Grant on LinkedIn or Matthew at instec.co or any of us, hello at instec.co. All the latest information is on the website, www.instec.co and everything we've been doing with all our members going back for two or three years. And now keep listening if you want to learn a bit more about protected cell companies and Richard's podcast equipment. So Richard, we should say a very special thank you for those who are still listening and want to know about a protected cell. So you, you referenced a protected cell, but you didn't tell us what it was. So now's your chance. Uh, for those that have got this far, they want to know about protected cells. So over to you. So uh, protected cells is one way, one name for them. There's about 25 different names for them, but essentially let's call them cell companies. Um, in Guernsey, in many places, they're called PCCs, protected cell companies. And in Bermuda, I believe they're segregated account companies and Cayman, they're segregated portfolio companies. Um, and they're also called sponsored captives as well in the US. And, and sponsored is actually quite a good um, a way to, to term it because uh, what a protected cell company is, and it's not just used for captives, but uh, for this purpose, it is used for captives. Um, Aon will own the core of the company. If you think of a honeycomb, um, Aon will own the core and they'll own the, the legal entity. And off that core will be cells. And those cells, in theory, have segregated assets and liabilities. So if you're a, say you're Instec, and your insurance premium isn't at the size that it would be uh, to, enough to set up a, a fully-fledged single-parent captive insurance company that we've been discussing previously, you might want to rent a cell from that Aon cell company and put your assets and liabilities in there, your, your insurance program. It could be, mon- it could be a monoline insurance program. It could be, it could be multi-line but just not at the right size to make a, a fully fledged captive stand up by itself. And what that does is it, it makes it a much lower entry cost, a much lower premium kind of sweet spot to, to make it make sense. It also is a little bit more flexible. I think you can close sales down quite a bit easier. And it was Guernsey that pioneered protected cell companies back in 1997. But now, as I said, you can find them in Bermuda, in Cayman, in Malta, in Vermont, various US states, uh, Labuan in Malaysia as well. And they're, they're particularly popular with that kind of middle market area. And, and I think as well with some insurtechs. So Richard, for anybody that's listening is, wants to know what we're using for the quality and the listeners can be the judge of <laughs> who's got the better setup. Can you just tell me and them what you're actually using just now to record with? Uh, so I've got a, a sound box, which is a Zoom H6 handy recorder. It's got uh, five plug-in microphone inputs. And my mic is a Rode NT1A microphone and i've got a very nicely branded uh, gcp microphone cover as well you do and it sounds very good well <laughs> so i've got an audio technica i think it's a gamer headset with an integrated microphone and i've got a focus right uh, amplifier and mixer but but you've got many more inputs than i do i've only got one on mine so i'm very jealous of your ability to do lots of guess at one game well, on stage but anyway well let- i have also got a, a much bigger mixing board because we do we have started doing some live podcasts as well so i can play the theme tune i can put in some jingles and uh, it's all very fun uh and i've just done it the one time but we're doing it again in in vermont in august yeah, you are you are podcast 3.0 i think i'm still <laughs> down there at one 